Thank you very much. How are you guys doing today? It's a beautiful Sunday morning. The sun is shining. The weather's nice. It's good to be here with you. Uh, like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the first time. Let's see a few new faces. Glad to have you here with us. Also, welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. Well, before I begin the message this morning, I just want to briefly remind you about uh, at the beginning of September, we were engaging in a 21, day, 21 days of fasting and prayer. And so if you've been hanging uh, around here for a while, you know that we, uh, we, we experience and we participate in seasons of fasting and prayer, mainly at the really pivotal points of the year. Fall is a big opportunity for us. People get settled into new rhythms of life. Kids go back to school. Things settle down a little bit. And as we, we want to kind of connect with that pattern of life and try to fold in some new healthy practices and try to invite Jesus into the rhythms of our life and perhaps create some new rhythms and patterns. And fasting is simply just sort of uh, getting your emotional and spiritual needs met by God in a way that you would normally get them met by some of the other snacks of life. Maybe it's food, maybe it's your smartphone, maybe it's some other thing that you regularly engage in. Not necessarily a bad thing, right? But we try to pull away from those things so that we can engage God and get our needs met uh, in that particular way. And so uh, in September, we're going to engage uh, 21 days of fasting and prayer. It's right around the time where we start our small groups. It'll be a good time to join. So I just want to prepare your hearts for that. If you have any questions, just come and ask me. Uh, It's going to be a fantastic time for our church. Also, uh, many of you have been watching the news this week. You know that there has been severe flooding over the last week or so uh, in Louisiana. Uh, we have some vineyard uh, fam- friends in, in Louisiana. They just tell us very horrifying stories of the damage and all the sorts of things that are going on. For some of you may not know it, but we are part of an association of churches. There's about 600 vineyard churches in the United States, some 1,200 churches outside of the U.S., and we have some friends and family, vineyard friends and family in Louisiana, and they're doing their very best to be an agent of hope in the midst of this terrible crisis, and they need our help and they need our support. And so whenever, you know, we have a disaster or something like that, we can't respond and give to every single thing, but sometimes we just see God breathing on a particular opportunity that we want to engage and want to be a part of. And so we want to help our vineyard brothers and sisters in Louisiana to be a light where they are, to be help for those who are struggling there. And so this week and next week, We'll be taking a free will offering, which will allow you to give to this cause. It'll allow you to help them buy supplies and help them do what they're doing. Uh, our, our Mercy Response Arm of the Vineyard, that's what it's called, Mercy Response. In, in times of crisis like this, they go and they camp out for a while and help uh, the vineyard churches there be a light and be of support and help to the people there. And so Mercy Response is on the grounds there in Louisiana about three vineyard churches in that particular area that can really use our help. So during our offering time today, if you want to participate, if you want to contribute to this effort, uh, just simply write on your check or the envelope, write Mercy Response or write Louisiana so we know to designate it for that. And after next week's offering, we'll, um, we'll send that over to them. Um, we will also be able to, uh, you also be able to do this online as well. So if you go to, if you normally give online, there'll be an opportunity for you to give online. I just want to spend a few moments just praying for the folks there because many of us have heard that this is like bigger than Katrina, 10,000 plus homes underwater. People are devastated. And so we're just going to ask the Lord to visit those and especially to uh, come alongside our vineyard friends and partners there. So Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you that we're dry here uh, in Illinois. Lord, this could very easily be us. And so Lord, we just warm with those who are mourning. We stand with our brothers and sisters, Lord. And so, Lord, um, it's it's one thing to pray, but it's another thing to act. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would move us to respond in a way that is in obedience to what you would have us to do in this regard. Uh, And you would call us a greater generosity to help in a way that you call us to. Father, I pray for the people who have lost everything. I pray for those who are far from you and even your people, Lord, that are just wondering, where are you in this? And so, Lord, I pray that the churches, not just the vineyard, but the churches in that area, Lord, will respond and be the church, be a light, be hope, and be help. And, Father, I pray that the the money that we raise and the resources we are able to send, Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally multiply that to meet the needs of those who are struggling. Lord, be with those brothers and sisters in Louisiana this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. 
Amen. Amen. Well, I have the privilege this morning of continuing a sermon series that I started several weeks ago, a series that I'm simply calling When God Shows Up. When God Shows Up. And each and every week, I just I felt the necessary to sort of clarify that, you know, God's not showing up after being absent, right? We know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, especially those of us who, are, uh, who, who believe in Christ. We know that we have a measure of God's spirit living in us. So God's presence is ever with us. When we say God shows up, we're talking about those moments in our lives, those pivotal moments in our lives where we just need to experience like, like God's presence turned up. Maybe you're in a valley or a season of darkness in your life where it's hard to see which way is up. You de- you're desperate. You need God's voice to speak. And so God shows up in that way and basically turns up his presence so that we can perceive him and so that we can hear him and so that we can respond to him. Maybe you're on a mountaintop. Maybe things are going well and it's hard for you to hear God's voice because things are going so well. Even in those moments, you need God to show up. You need God to turn his voice up and to turn up his presence And, of course, every other place in between we need for God to show up. I tried to make it clear over the last few weeks that what we need most, what you need most and what I need most is for God to show up in our life. You may need more money. You may need a new car. You may want a new car. You may want a different job. But what you need most, even though you may not know it right now, what you need most is for God's presence to be felt in your life, for God to show up in your life. And so God showing up is not just God just sort of popping in just to check on you, him taking this sort of cosmic selfie and sending it to you. This is not what we're talking about, right? When we talk about God showing up, it's always purposeful. It's always meaningful. God is always up to something. And usually when God shows up, he's wanting to turn the lights on for you, right? To help you see some things that you couldn't have seen on your own to disclose a blind spot that might have you traveling wrong, right? To take you to that next place in him. God showing up in our life is deeply meaningful. It's deeply uh, purposeful. And so the last few weeks, we've talked about a few things. When God shows up, we encounter a God that meets our needs, right? We have real needs, and this God of power shows up to meet those needs. We continue by talking about a God who's eager to reveal himself. And last week we talked about uh, God showing up and him being an arresting God. An arresting God, right? A God that sometimes has to stop us in our tracks because we're traveling wrong. We're doing harm to ourselves and others. We're moving away from him. And so sometimes God has to show up and arrest us. Stop us in our tracks. Make us feel perhaps the pinch of correction so that we can uh, move in the direction that God is calling us to move. And so this week I want to continue this series by talking about how when God shows up, we encounter the God of more. The God of more. There's more to God than meets our eye, right? Uh, There's more to him than we can imagine. And so sometimes when we think about God being a God of more, we mistakenly reduce him to just sort of being this vending machine, right? That we can just sort of punch in our wish list and, you know, some, some of the snacks of life that we want just sort of drop down. And we think about the more of God, we think about, listen, I need my bills paid. Listen, I need a new car. We think about the more of God, we think, hey, I need healing my body. We think about the stuff that will enrich our life in a sort of physical sense. But I want to make you look a little broader today. I want to paint God's moreness, if I can make up a word on the spot, with a broader brush, right? And point us back to the fact that when God shows up on our lives and when he reveals the more of the Lord to us, it's usually for more than just making you comfortable. In fact, usually it has the opposite effect and that first makes you uncomfortable, uh, that it challenges you. And it exposes something that you couldn't see uh, be- for whatever reason, right? And so today we're exploring the fact that when God shows up, we experience the God of more. The God of more. And you'll be happy when we get through with this that God is a God of more. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 10. Last week we were in Acts chapter 9. We just turned the page from where you were last week. And we're in Acts chapter 10. Fascinating story in Acts chapter 10, a powerful encounter where God shows up and reveals himself to be the God of more. We'll unpack this and try to find ourselves in the story this morning. Acts chapter 10, we'll start at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the Bible's on the edges of your rows. Um, Feel free to take those Bibles and use them today. Take them home if you don't have a Bible. 
We'll also be projecting it on the screen. So let me pray as you get that Acts chapter 10. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to experience you, Lord, to know you, to be known by you. Lord, I just relish the opportunity, Lord, to, to just tell people about the more of the Lord and have our eyes opened and have our hearts receive the realness of who you are. And so, Lord, I just ask today, I humbly ask, Lord, if there's anything today that would try to distract us, is there anything today that would try to keep us from realizing who you are and therefore seeing who we are and where we are, Father, I pray that you would just go before us this morning and make the crooked places straight. Father, if there's anything within us this morning that would cause us to bristle at the truth or to turn a cold shoulder to the things that you would say, Father, I just ask that you would just set those things aside so that we uh, can experience you in a real way so that we might be transformed and move closer to you. God, put power on these words that you've given me to say. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 10. Told you last week that Acts is a very important book of the Bible in the New Testament. Acts sits between the Gospels and basically the epistles or the letters or basically the uh, apostles and church planters that are writing to churches after they gotten started. So in the Gospels, we see Jesus' life, his ministry. He's discipling his guys and getting them ready, right, to do the kingdom work of spreading the gospel all over the world. In the epistles, we see the, uh, the apostles doing this. They're writing letters to churches. They're planting churches. They're encouraging the, the, the churches, um, much like churches like this, right? Um, and so in the middle of those two sections of Scripture is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts basically explains how the church got started. Uh, the book of Acts basically explains what the disciples did with Jesus' teaching and destruction, uh, instruction and how things sort of got going, right? And so last week we looked at the conversion of the Apostle Paul and how the Lord showed up in a mighty way to him. This week we look at the Apostle Peter and we look at this fascinating story and hopefully we can see ourselves in here. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, Scripture says this, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. This is the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called to two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. Now, if you are regular at this church, you know, this is a familiar text for us, right? This is a really important text. It's actually one of my favorites. And that's really exciting as a preacher because you don't always get to preach your favorites. If you're a disciplined preacher, you have to preach sometimes passages you don't care for that much, right? But on rare occasions, I shouldn't say on rare occasions, often we get to preach passages that we really like, passages that really speak to us. And since this is the living word of God, right, and God's word speaking to us in new ways, because he's the God of more, I'm really delighted to see new things in this familiar passage, things that I haven't really seen before, and I'm excited to unpack those things for you today. But this is a familiar passage to some of us, 
as a multi-ethnic, multicultural church, we really get excited at the fact that God is sending Peter uh, to different types of people, and it affirms the fact that God has something bigger for us than, you know, our little lanes that we sometimes tend to stay in. But the main characters in this story, Peter and Cornelius, uh, really teach us a really valuable lesson today. See, Cornelius and Peter are two men that God chooses to visit and God chooses to show up in their life. Now, what's really interesting about this story and this particular account of this story is that Peter and Cornelius are, are sitting on two opposite ends of the spectrum of faith, particularly as it relates to Jesus Christ. Peter is a follower of Jesus and not just an ordinary follower of Jesus. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Totally bought into the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, regularly operates in power, um, is thoroughly convinced that this is what he's doing with his life, and he's bet the farm uh, on Jesus being the Son of God, and he's given his life to telling others about it. Cornelius, on the other hand, is on the other end of the spectrum in that he's not quite converted. In fact, he doesn't really know about Jesus. They, the, the scriptures doesn't give it any indication that Cornelius has heard about Jesus or is following Jesus. And Cornelius would be, as Christians might say, he would be unsaved, right? We got this awesome man of God, awesome man of faith, signs, wonders, and miracles flow from him as he speaks and preaches and ministers to other people. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got Cornelius. He's just a dude. He's just a guy in, 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 on the spectrum uh, of faith, and yet God shows up to both of these guys in a powerful way and changes their life forever. Changes their life forever. And I think that's important for us uh, today because in a room like this, a room this size, there's got to be people who fit the description of Peter. Maybe you're leading a small group. Maybe you're a leader or a pastor here. Maybe you are a Bible-carrying, card-toting member of, you know, the Christian faith, and, like, you're hot and heavy into this thing. Thoroughly convinced, right? But sitting next to you as a person who just sort of wandered in today because their life is a mess. Sitting next to you as a person who's, you know, maybe, maybe they're a good person. Maybe they've heard a little bit about it. Maybe somebody attractive invited them today, but they're not by any stretch following Jesus. I love this account because it shows that God is eager to reveal himself to anybody who will, who will listen. You know, anybody who will turn their ear toward heaven. Anybody who would be interrupted and say, yeah, Lord, is that you? Uh, I'm listening. Would you speak to me? Two opposite ends of the spectrum of faith. And what I want you to do as we walk through this today, as we examine what it means and what it looks like when the God of more shows up, I want you to locate yourself uh, on the spectrum of faith today. Do you more identify with Peter or are you more of a Cornelius this morning? How might God be speaking to you this morning? I want you to wrestle with that as we walk through this. But I want to walk through this, and I want to talk about three things that we discover as we encounter the God of more, and hopefully we'll use this story in a good way to help us unpack that. When we encounter the God of more, the first thing that we see is that there's more for us to learn. There's more for us to learn. And this is so important for me to say because as a person that's 35 years old, I will report to you that I knew everything in my 20s. In fact, I was so advanced that I knew everything in my late teens. <laughs> Middle, mid, you know, mid-teens were a little sketchy, but by the time I turned 19, I knew everything. <laughs> you couldn't tell me much. And some of you laugh because you were experts <laughs> when you were 19 and you're 20, some of you 30, 40, and you still think you're an expert, but just stick around because we're going to shatter that today. So here I stand in my 30s, middle of my 30s, and I realize that I don't know a thing. Now, either I lost all the stuff I knew, or I discovered that what I knew wasn't worth fill in the blank, right? And so this is such an important revelation for us to get because, you know, we move through seasons of life where we feel like we've learned all there is to, to learn and we know all there is to know. And frankly, I'm quite skeptical of anybody who positions himself as somebody who, who knows it all, who 
who's seen it all. In fact, that's the definition of what it means to be cynical. You can't be impressed. You can't, you know, can't be told anything. Every, you know, there's something behind everything. And such, you walk through life with your arms folded, your lips pursed and turned to the side because you, you just can't be impressed. You know all there is to know. It's a dangerous person. It's especially dangerous as it relates to faith. Because we serve the God of more, we've surrendered our hearts and our lives to the, to the God of more. An infinite God interacting with finite beings like you and me, if you can't be impressed by God, there's something wrong. You can't be told anything by the God of the universe who's constantly peeling back layers and revelation and truth and revealing more light. If you can't be impressed by that, then something is very wrong. This is one of the first things I see in these encounters that God has with these two, two men is that he's teaching them that there's more to learn. Let's look at Cornelius. Scriptures tell us that in Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man as everyone in his household, and he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So we know that this guy is a Roman army officer, and he's you know, a relatively important guy. We know that he's a Gentile, which is really important because the gospel wasn't really making it to the Gentiles just yet. That's a significant detail. Scriptures also tell us that Cornelius was a good man, a generous sort of God-fearing man. Now, he was missing something major, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. But we learn a little bit about who Cornelius was. And since he was missing the key element of the faith, which is Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, that would cleanse him of his sin, be the bridge that would connect him to God, this brother is missing something significant. It's important for us to identify the fact that although Cornelius doesn't know Jesus, the scriptures tell us that he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Gives alms to the poor, you know, relates to God, even as a Gentile, relates to God in a relatively good way. But one of the more important lessons that we learn as we look at Cornelius, particularly that he has more to learn, is that being good is never enough. Being good is never enough because good is relative, right? Good is relative to what you compare it to. And in my interest of wanting to look the best possible way, you know, to, to, to be perceived in the best possible light, if I want to consider myself good, I can just use as comparison somebody who's not so good. Or at least somebody who's not as good as myself. And so good is relative and good is never enough, especially when we compare ourselves to who we're supposed to compare ourselves to, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. As to God's righteousness and his standard, when we compare ourselves to that, we never are quite good enough, but real stronghold, and I believe this community, suburban, Homewood, Flossmore, the real stronghold here is just people feel like they're good people. You feel like they're good people. And in feeling like you're good people, you don't feel this pressing need for a savior. You don't feel this pressing need to change and to grow and to learn and expand, especially as it relates to faith. And being a good guy is one of the counterfeit versions of real faith. Being a good person is one of the counterfeit versions of real faith. As quiet as it is kept, the, the, Satan doesn't really mind that you're a good person as long as you don't discover Jesus. Doesn't mind that you give money to the poor? Doesn't mind that you've already written a check to support the folks in Baton Rouge? He doesn't really get upset with that so long as you don't engage Jesus. So long as you don't surrender your life to him. So long as you don't set Jesus at the center of your life and build the rest of your life around it like that. Satan doesn't mind you being a good person because it's one of the counterfeits that he gives us to dull us to our need for Jesus. And so in pressing into Cornelius, the God of more reveals through this exchange that there's something that Cornelius is missing. Being good is not good enough. The same passage we see the power of God, the presence of God having this encounter with Peter. 
Peter is a Christ follower. He's more than a Christ follower. He's apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a leader in the Christian church, preaching with power, healing the sick, all sorts of things going on. But unlike Cornelius, Peter is a devout Jew. And devout Jews live by a set of rules. We call it the law as seen in the Old Testament of Scripture. Really devout Jew, careful not to uh, eat the wrong things and, and go to the wrong places and hang with the wrong folks. He's a devout person, and part of this devoutness was like adhering to a set of rules which would kind of speak to the same sort of goodness that Cornelius adheres to even though he's far from Jesus. And so when God comes to Peter, he's trying to turn the light on for Peter and help him understand that, hey, hey, you're a good guy. You're following Jesus. You're serving the church. Signs, wonders, and miracles are flowing from your life. But there's still more. There's still more. There's a major blind spot that you have, Peter. And the Lord begins to work that out with him. And so the way the Lord works that out with him is he, he, he shows him this vision, really strange vision. And Peter's going up. He's hungry. No doubt that probably helped him slip into that trance a little bit easier. And so he's on this flat roof. Went up there to pray, but it's probably really hungry. And in this vision, God like lowers down the sheet with all these animals in it. And in this sheet with all these animals are animals that are like off limit to the Jewish people. It's hooved animals and all these animals that the scripture, that the law tells you you're not supposed to eat. The voice is the voice of the Lord, which you probably know by now, speaks to Peter and says, hey, kill that stuff and eat it. And Peter says, Lord, maybe, I know it's been a while since you gave us these laws, but we don't eat that stuff. We don't mess around with that. You want me to have the pulled pork sandwich? We don't eat that stuff. Uh, He says, I'm not doing that. Now, this is the voice of the Lord, and this is Peter who works for God saying, I'm not doing that. Now, we already see that there's a problem. And Peter's personality, you know, moves him in this direction of pushing back and challenging. And so this is who Peter is. But this, this, this vision is repeated three times for Peter. And so if you know this passage, you know that God wasn't trying to challenge Peter's diet. He didn't say, hey, Peter, look a little thin. We need to put some more protein in your diet. Maybe eat some fattier meats. This wasn't what the Lord was trying to do. Peter was an evangelist. He was an apostle. He was charged with taking the gospel to the corners of the world so that Jesus could be made famous and more and more people would come to know him. But Peter was also a devout Jew. And devout Jews didn't hang with anybody but other devout Jews. And so what the Lord is trying to teach Peter in this learning moment is that, listen, bud, you know, your, your association is limited. Your evangelical scope and reach is limited because you've chosen not to hang with certain people. And in not hanging with certain people, you've chosen not to go to certain people. And the Lord is like challenging that in his faithful apostle, Peter. God's challenging him. He's stretching him. He's moving him beyond the comforts of what's familiar to him and what he knows, what he likes, what he's used to. God's teaching him something. And this is the God of more. And so this lesson that we learn as we examine both of these guys, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, there's more that God has for you. There's more for you to learn. There's more for you to know. doesn't matter if you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you carry a vial of oil in your satchel just in case you see somebody you need to pray for. There's more for you to know. There's more for you to learn. This infinite God has more for you, and that more usually comes by way of challenge. That more usually comes by way of pushing you out of what's comfortable into something that's uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And if you happen to be Cornelius, you have to be a person who doesn't quite know Jesus, isn't connected with his story, hasn't invited him into your life. Guess what? God has more for you to learn as well, and it usually centers around the simple message of the gospel. And God's interaction with Cornelius was designed to push him toward the knowledge, the saving knowledge of who God is. The interesting thing about both these guys is that they're both really open to what God has to say to them. 
And so the, the important thing for us to do today as we, as we look at this exchange is to examine our life. Because some of us, we haven't learned something about God and ourselves in a long time. I mean, we've gone really long stretches, particularly people of faith, without moving, like not an inch beyond what, what's comfortable for us. In fact, Western Christians, we get to be like uniquely comfortable in our faith. When we read uh, passages of Scripture, we often see Christians like being stretched, often seeing them face, facing great challenge and controversy, often see them having to put their money where their mouth is, often as it relates to their faith. We turn on the news and we watch ISIS beheading Christians. We read stories of missionaries all over the world who have to go underground and they can't tell anybody about their meetings. They can't put an ad in a newspaper because they'd be rounded up if they were discovered. Facing great challenge and controversy, but yet in the West, we, we can be really comfortable and be Christians. We can partake in the sweetness and goodness of God and have it cost us relatively nothing. And so I've discovered that when the God of more darkens my door, like the real God, he's almost always pushing me to learn more about himself. And as we've discovered in the past weeks, that whenever I see more of God, it just shines a brighter light on me, particularly unflattering parts about me, the parts where I fall short, not in a condemning way, but in a convicting way that's designed to move me to a place of greater devotion to God. And some of you are here today and you said, I've gone long stretch. I'm in one of those long stretches right now where I'm not even trying to learn anything more. I read my one-page devotion a week. I go to church. If I've got nothing else going on, if there's nothing good on TV, or if I don't have some you know, activities for the kids, we go to church. And, like, I'm just good. I'm good. But God is challenging us this morning, and I hope you receive that challenge, that there's always more for us to learn. That's the first thing. The second thing as we encounter the God of more is that there's more for us to do. There's more for us to do. There's more for us to do. The scriptures tell us that faith, faith without works is meaningless. Faith without works is dead. Now, this isn't to say that this Christian life and this life of faith is all about what you can do to move us to trying to outperform somebody else. This is not what I'm talking about, right? This is not a works-based faith. But the scriptures tell us that if you truly believe in God, you will lean the full weight of your life on him, and that will be, you know, obvious to others by how you live your life, by how you walk this out. And when you and I encounter the God of more, he's almost always going to have something for you to do. Something for you to do. You know, it's interesting that I encounter a lot of people who say to me in one way or other, you know, Pastor, I'm just not where I want to be in life. You know, I'm not where I want to be in my life with God. I'm not where I want to be in my life with my children. I'm not where I want to be in, in my life with my wife and in my marriage. And sometimes I say to myself, and sometimes I say to them, well, why are you standing still? If you're not where you want to be, why are you just hanging out so much? Why are you doing so little? Why is there so little activity in your life? Why is there so much chilling and hanging out if you're not like, like you're not where you want to be in Christ? And so that's not to like, you know, confront you or get in your face, but it is to challenge you to say, if you really recognize that you're not where you want to be in your life with Jesus, or you're not where you want to be in some meaningful area of your life that God really cares about, then many of us would find that we probably should get moving. And the God of more will always have something for you to move towards. We see this as we look at Cornelius, the vision that he has. God doesn't say, hey, Cornelius, hey, I'm bringing you this care package. You don't have to get out of your chair, bro. Just sit there, and I'm just going to shower you with this stuff. What? God tells Cornelius, hey, send some of your guys to talk to Peter. I'm already talking to him. Send some of your guys to get this. Go, you got to do something. 
And so for those of you who would identify with Cornelius, you're on that end of the spectrum of faith where you don't know Jesus, you're kind of interested in God, you're kind of interested in faith, you're open to it. My challenging question to you is, what is the Lord calling you to do? And some of you would say quickly, he's calling me to do nothing. I said, no, no, listen again, because you didn't hear it right. What is God calling you to do? Well, nothing. Maybe like be better. Nope, try again. Try again. A lot of people want to come to me and they want me to answer that question for them. Hey, what should I do, preacher? And what I say is probably one of the most frustrating sentences that I say as a pastor. I say, well, what does the Lord say? And I just see this look of dismay, like I wanted you to solve this for me, right? But what I know is that God listens to those who call on his name. And God speaks to those who earnestly and diligently seek him. You don't have to be a a prayer expert. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. What you have to do, as James says, is ask with an earnest heart. Believe and not doubt. Ask the Lord and he'll tell you. And so some of you here today say, I need to know the next step. Well, what is the Lord saying? It's probably pointing to some area in your life where the patterns of brokenness are well-worn or the signs of indifference are just present. And some of you used to be moving toward Jesus and life has just sort of gotten busy and you've gotten complacent and you've gotten indifferent and God's get, God gets less and less of you. There was a season in your life where you're moving closer to him or something happened or someone happened and somebody knows when those someones happen. You 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 start dating, you start getting into something or someone and it just throws cold water on the whole thing. Like God has something for us to do. And when he comes to Cornelius, he says, look, this is what you need to do. Send some guys, make this thing happen. Prepare this thing that I'm going to have happen in your life. The real God, when he reveals himself to you, he will call you to do something. He will call you to go. He will call you to move. And if you're listening, he will reveal that to you. And some of you just haven't moved in a while. Some of you haven't moved in a while. And some of you getting back in this rhythm of going to church or you're getting in the rhythm of doing things again and you feel like, man, you've been sitting down for a little while. It It doesn't feel natural. It feels achy. You feel older than you are. But that's good. God's calling you to move. Let's look at Peter. God called him to do something, to do something, right? And so first we examine this, this vision that God had and even for Peter. And even in this vision, God is challenging people, Peter to do some hard things, some difficult things, some things that cut against the grain of what's normal for him. So kill this stuff and eat it. And Peter is like, man, I... I'm not eating this stuff. This is not what we do. This is not who I am. The Lord says, I know. Kill and eat it. So, Lord, this is really uncomfortable for me. I I really, this doesn't jive with who I am. He says, I know. Kill and eat it. The scriptures tell us that God repeated that three times for him. Do something. Stretch yourself. Say yes. And so what is God doing through this with Peter? He's turning on the lights for Peter. He's turning on the lights for Peter. And as he turns on the lights for Peter, Peter sees something really ugly about himself as this thing plays out. And what he sees about himself is that he's kind of prejudiced. Peter's kind of like a closet racist, if we can use the R word on Sunday morning in a multi-ethnic church. Peter really doesn't hang out with those folks. And so the Lord said, I know, but I need you to. I know, like, what I have for you is this big, you're you're operating in this much, and so in order for you to get, like, the more of me, and for me to get more of you, you got to do some stuff that, like, you're not accustomed to doing. You got to go some places you're not accustomed to going. You want what you've never had, you got to do usually what you've never done. And so this is God's way of turning on the light for Peter, and I told you, get used to that phrase because that's, that's who we are. So what is this church about? What, what, is God, what, what are we about? We're about turning, we're like allowing God to turn on the light for us and being dispatched to turn the light on for other people. That's, that's what it boils down to. Every dime that we spend, every meeting we have, every person that we talk to, 
every time we open these doors, it's about turning on the lights. God revealing himself to us, and through that, us going and revealing God to the world. And this is what God is doing. He's turned on the lights for Peter, and he's, Peter sees something about himself. He's being challenged. He's being challenged. And so as he walks through this, he snaps out of this vision, and sure enough, as he snaps out of it, Cornelius' guys are downstairs. They're knocking on the door. And what does Peter have to do again? He has to get uncomfortable again because he's got to go with these guys because God told him to. He's got to travel. He's got to put himself out. He's got to expend some energy and resource. And on top of that, he's got to go to some people that he's not supposed to hang out with. He's got to go out of his element. He's being stretched in some ways. And perhaps God is calling you Bible-carrying card-carrying members of Christian faith to go some places and to do some things that makes you uncomfortable. To interact with some folks that you just as soon not interact with. To reach across whatever aisle separates you from them. Maybe God's calling you to do that, especially in the context of a church like this. And I usually know when God's in something when I'm uncomfortable. I usually know that when God is challenging me to do something, it's usually something that I wouldn't think of on my own. It's usually the thing that I would try to run away from. When you encounter the God of more, (laughs) he not only teaches you new things, but he challenges you to do more things. And so this final challenge for Peter is for him to go with Cornelius' guys and go Uh, um, go to Cornelius' house. And why is Peter going to Cornelius' house? Because just as the light was turned on for him, Cornelius is supposed to, I'm sorry, Peter is supposed to go to Cornelius to turn the light on for him. Told you Cornelius is a good guy, God-fearing guy, but he's missing something, and what he's missing, Peter is supposed to bring it to him. And so up until this point, we've seen both of these guys respond relatively well to the God that encounters them. And so this third thing that I want to examine this morning is the fruit of what happens when they both respond to him. The fruit of what happens when they both respond to him. God, that is. And so this is really, really important because a lot of times, you know, if we understand the why, but we don't know what, like, what, what, what's God going to do once I do this. Like, what, what are the benefits of being obedient? What are the benefits of encountering and engaging and responding to the God of more? So what happens? Well, we see Peter here in verse 24. The scripture tells us that they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. Verse 25. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Now this is really, this is really important. Because Peter didn't know that all this stuff was going to happen. Like all he knew is like God told him to get up and go. But when he got to Cornelius' house, he was met by Cornelius, and like Cornelius was like super happy that he was there. And not only was Cornelius happy that he was there, Cornelius had gathered his entire family. His entire family. And not just his entire family, the scriptures tell us that Cornelius had gathered all of his close friends. All of his close friends. And so he, Peter probably like, thought he was just going to go talk to a guy and maybe discuss something with a guy. And when he got there, he, he was in a room like this. Actually, a crowd like this and probably a much smaller room. Packed house. People sitting on the edge of their seats just waiting for the man of God to bring the word. Now, he had no way of knowing that that was what was going to happen at the beginning, but he said yes to God. And so the fruit, the fruit of Peter saying yes, the fruit of Peter leaning into the God of more is that Peter's eyes were opened. Or should I say his eyes were opened further. Verse 28 says, Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this. 
or to associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Now, this isn't something to be casually looked, at, looked upon. Like, this is a major revelation. This is a huge breakthrough for a guy who only hung out with the, the devout Jews, particularly thought that, hey, they were the bee's knees and like God, like really, you know, they were God's favorites and that everybody else was just sort of left to themselves. This is a major revelation, especially for somebody who is holding what Peter is holding. What is Peter holding? He's holding the light. He's holding the truth. He's holding the message of the kingdom. He's holding information about the person and work of Jesus Christ, exactly what Cornelius needs, right? And for this guy to realize that God has no favorites, for him to realize that there is nothing that is impure or unclean or untouchable so long as God says that it's a value is a major revelation. And so Peter, in responding to what the Lord has spoken to him, gets his eyes opened. Now, what's this going to do to Peter's ministry? If he was already preaching the gospel and healing the sick, and bringing more people to Jesus now, this is just completely blown open his evangelical scope and reach. He can go anywhere now. He can talk to anybody now. There's nobody off limits to him because like the, the more of the Lord visited him, he responded to it and like God opened his eyes and now he could see. Now he can see. But it doesn't, doesn't stop here. There's somebody else on the other side of this and this Cornelius. And Cornelius just responds, he sends his guy, he gathers his people, he does something, right, in response to what the Lord has said. What happened to him? Guess what? The missing piece is now explained to him. Verses 37 through 43, we see that Peter comes and explains the gospel. He comes and explains the gospel. And maybe I get really excited about this because I'm a preacher and this is what I do, but do, do you understand how significant this is? Some of us have been saved too long and we just forget how you, how you felt like when you heard the gospel for the first time. Like when you heard the truth that even though you owed a whole lot and that you would never be able to pay the debt that you owe for your sins, that Jesus paid a price and like you can walk in freedom and you can have eternal life now and like you can be whole and you can be free and you can live the kingdom life now. Like when you first heard that, like you were, you, you floated for a week. And so here's Cornelius, good guy, like many of you, but life's still not working. He's still a hole, still, still empty in some ways. Life doesn't quite click, doesn't quite connect. And here comes the man of God in obedience to the God of more responding to him. He comes and turns the lights on for you, and you hear and receive the gospel changes his life. And not just Cornelius, but everybody who gathered there heard for the first time who Jesus was. They put it together. The penny dropped for them. And not only did they hear the gospel for the first time, but they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Begin to speak in tongues. They even inquired about baptism, and Peter orders his attendants, hey, baptize this guy. This wasn't just some fly-by-night meeting. Those people received Jesus. Their lives were changed. And all because when the God of more came and said, hey, I got more for you to learn. There's some blind spots that you have that I want to expose. Peter, you, you're a racist, you're prejudiced, and I want to chop that out of your life so you can do more. Cornelius, you're a good man, but goodness is not good enough. You need Jesus. Like they said, okay. They said, okay. And both of them changed forever. Both of them changed forever. Friends, that's the fruit of leaning in to God when he leans into you. That's the fruit of leaning into God when he's leaning into you. And so you might be a Cornelius here today, and what it looks like for you is to take the next step of faith. Yes, you've been coming to church, but maybe the next step for you is to engage 
a small group or to talk to somebody about an area of besetting sin in your life. Maybe the next step for you is to get a Bible that you understand or a devotional that you can read each day or get a recommendation for some podcast that you can regularly listen to. Maybe it's time for you to make a commitment to follow Jesus. I don't know what your next step is, but like God has more for you than just being a good person and coming to church every once in a while. Maybe you're a believer and you trusted God with your heart, but you've gotten a little rusty. You've gotten a little complacent. You've gotten a little too comfortable. You have your spiritual, you know, iPod on and you can't like, you can't or won't hear what God is telling you and how he's challenging you. You haven't been challenged. You haven't been stretched in a while. In fact, you have an aversion to that. Like, and so the more of the Lord, when he visits you today, it might come a little bit differently, different might be challenging you to re-engage, might be calling you to join a small group. It might be calling you to re-engage and giving generously. It might call you to get back and start discipling people and meeting with them so that you can turn the light on for them like the Spirit of the Lord is speaking today. He's speaking to us in a different way depending on who you are and where you are. What is the God of more saying to you this morning? And worship team, you can come up as we put this all together. Who are you this morning? Are you Peter? Are you Cornelius? Both, both men needed the more of the Lord. What do you place yourself in this story? How have you responded or how will you respond to the more of the Lord? What is God teaching you that you haven't known before? What is he calling you to do that maybe you've refused to do or maybe you didn't have an ear to hear? My prayer for you is that you would taste the fruit of obedience as you respond to the more of the Lord. My God wants to visit with you. And some of you, this is like, this just not like the, the clouds aren't parting and the earth isn't shaking, but like this is really God speaking to you right now because God like has some stuff for you to do. He has some things that he wants you to rearrange. And my prayer for you is that you would listen to the voice of the Lord, however he's speaking to you today. And that as he reveals himself to you in this way, and even as we worship, that you would say yes to him, whatever he would ask you to do. However he would ask you to move or step out or stretch you, whatever he wants to teach you, my, my hope and my prayer is that you would say yes to him, the God of more. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, that you reveal yourself to us in a way that we can understand and lay hold of. I love this passage and I love this topic because there's something for everybody. It doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum of faith. Like, God, you, you, you're speaking to us today. There's more for us from you. And so, Lord, let us not be so full of ourselves that we can't be impressed by your presence. Let us not be such know-it-alls, Lord, that we, we, we can't perceive you when you want to speak to us and show us something different. God, humble us. Teach us. Make us aware of your presence. And give us the strength and courage, Lord, to not just hear but receive and not just receive but respond, like to respond, to do something with what you pour out today. And Lord, as we worship you, and song, Father, I pray that you would just continue to till the soil of our hearts so that if there's anything that would resist what you want to pour out today, but that you would just deal with it so that we can flow the way you want us to flow. Lord, our hearts say yes. Our hearts say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.